Philippians chapter 1, as we continue to study the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians, we'll begin by reading verses 6 through 11 of Philippians chapter 1. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to thank this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Last week we considered the phrase in verse 7, I have you in my heart. And a healthy church will have one another in their hearts. We will have love for each other. John wrote that one of the evidences of being saved is when we have love for the brethren. And if we're going to operate at a higher level of effectiveness as a church, then we have to move past petty differences that can so easily divide a body if we're not careful. Infightings cause us to waste time because we're focused on constantly trying to make relationships right. We're constantly putting our efforts towards trying to be unified, and it gets our efforts off of the main thing which is the Great Commission in short. It's reaching people for Christ. And when we're too busy trying to get our own relationships right in here, we're going to waste time. So I just want to say that if there is anyone that you're at odds with in our church tonight, would you please reach out and try to make that right? Because if we can become completely unified in one accord, there's no telling what God can do. Now, I'm not aware of any major issues in case you're wondering, but you may be holding something in your heart. And I got hung up on that thought last week, so let's go back to verse 7 again tonight. Remember in verse 6 that Paul expressed a confidence that God would perform the good work which he had begun in them, which when they first became believers, when they had first gotten saved. And by the way, when someone says that they believe in Christ as their Savior, they give a testimony of the gospel believing that, we have to just take them at their word when they tell us that. If somebody comes forward, they say they've gotten saved, we explain everything, they, they understand all that, we baptize them or whatever, we, we are just taking them at their word. So how do we know if the profession is genuine? Give it some time. Give it some time. And in time, you'll be able to see whether or not there are any evidences of being saved. Because he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that will become evident the more time goes by. Remember, after Paul was saved, God told a man named Ananias to go and help Paul, who was at that time known as Saul of Tarsus. 
Ananias said in Acts chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. (laughs) Ananias is concerned about going to help this man who has a license to imprison Christians. Understandably so, right? And what's, what's the issue here? Paul had supposedly been saved, but Ananias is just going to have to take his word on it. And time's going to have to go by to find out whether this is genuine. And of course, Ananias is taking the Lord's word, which we know is true, but you understand what I'm saying. And, and so he's concerned because there's no visible proof. There's no way to know whether or not Paul has genuinely been converted. It had not been evident yet that God had started a good work in him. But as you know, as time went by, Saul was transformed into the Apostle Paul. He was imprisoned many times. He was beaten several times. He was whipped several times. His life demonstrated that God had begun a good work in him. And it became evident to all who knew him as Saul and then knew him as Paul. Something changed in this man's life. There was evidence that God was working in him. No one else could see Paul's heart. But they could see the transformation in his life. And we cannot see a person's heart. But we ought to be able to see a manifestation of what is taking place in the heart as it works its way outward. And it is made known to us that there has been a change in this person. We can see the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 say, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And we can have a good indication that someone is in Christ because what God begins, He finishes. And if God has begun a good work in you, it will be evidenced in your life outwardly. You may have been sitting in church for 50 years. There may not have been any change in your life. And so if your life was examined, is there evidence for God performing a good work in you? Paul told the Corinthians, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Paul's going to tell these Philippians in the next chapter and in verse 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Have you done this? Have you examined yourself? Have you ever worked out your own salvation? Is God performing a good work in you tonight? There's no greater evidence of this principle in our New Testament than the Apostle Paul. His life had been completely transformed from being a religious Pharisee who once persecuted the church and made havoc of church, now becoming one receiving persecution in defense, in confirmation of the gospel, as we'll see tonight. No one could question his faith. Paul, he says to these Philippians believers in verse 7, it is right for me to think of how God will perform this good work in you because 
even while I'm in bonds, even while I'm in prison, I'm under house arrest, in my defense of the gospel and my confirmation of the gospel, he says, you have become partakers of my grace. Paul is letting them know they have evidenced salvation in their life by coming to Paul's aid. Philippians 4.18 says, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. You see, this church stood with Paul while he was under arrest. He's in Rome. He's under house arrest. They're sending him support. And because they were sending him financial assistance, it was showing Paul how much that they identified with the gospel and how much they identified with him. It was an indication of how closely they were standing with Paul. They were demonstrating that they had the same faith as Paul. So Paul says, they have become partakers of my grace. You might think, well, what's the big deal? So what? They gave some money. Well, for starters, pay was a lot different back then. Amen. It was a lot different. Most of these early Christians were slaves. They lived off a daily wage. It was very hand to mouth. You worked to eat that day. There wasn't a whole lot of abundance is what I'm saying. There wasn't excess a whole lot of times with a lot of these believers. Second, it's been rightly said, show me your checkbook and I'll show you where your heart is. And if you doubt that, Listen to what Jesus said. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Please understand, God doesn't have all of your heart if He doesn't have your finances. You may be a faithful attender to church gatherings. You may even serve God while you're in the house of God. But if you don't give financially to God, then God doesn't have all of you. And we have to give our time, we have to give our talents, but we also have to give of our treasure. And I recognize tonight that one can give out of some sense of duty, responsibility, and God not have their heart. There are those who prove this to be true. But to the vast majority, the last thing that is surrendered to God is our finances. And I touched on this last week when I mentioned how we would spend money on our soon-to-be. Why? Because we love her. Amen. You'll put your money towards what you really want in this life. Now, this is Wednesday night. You should all be shouting the roof down in agreement. If you want a fancy house, if you want a new car, or the latest fashions, then that's where your money will go. Now, let me be clear. There's nothing wrong with having those things. So long as those things don't have you. And you can tell if those things have you if it's affecting your obedience to God in the area of finances. I personally believe the tithe is still for today. We can debate that another time. But that means 10% of your gross goes to God. And if you happen to be one who believes the tithe is only under the Old Testament, then I've got good news for you. If you feel like we're under... Grace, and therefore the tithe doesn't apply, I believe God will give you grace to give above and beyond 
We're having fun tonight. Amen. Amen. And, and listen, the Bible teaches we should give above our tithe. We should also give what are called offerings. God, through the prophet Malachi, asked Israel, will a man rob God? God anticipated their response, their question, wherein have we robbed thee? To which God replied, in tithes and offerings. <laughs> because of this, the whole nation was cursed. And a way that you can give above and beyond your tithe is to missions. This is what the Philippian church was doing. They gave money to the Apostle Paul who was a missionary church planter. They were making sure that his needs were taken care of and that he was able to do the will of God. And this made Paul's two-year imprisonment in Rome much better because instead of being locked in a jail cell, he was able to rent a house. And the guards would stand watch at the house. And that was great because people were able to come to the Apostle Paul and he was still able to teach them. You'll find that at the end of the book of Acts. It talks about him being there for two years and people came and he expounded the Word of God to them. And so by them giving to Paul, it really helped the cause of Christ. So does God have your heart when it comes to your finances? Or is all the stuff and the payments you're making to your lenders robbing you of the blessing of being able to give to God? That's good preaching, preacher. Amen. Giving to God is an evidence that God has begun a good work in you. And because of their giving to Paul for the work of the ministry, he can say to these Philippians, ye are all partakers of my grace. And we'll consider this more in chapter 4, but when we give towards the advancement of the gospel, then their fruit is added to our account. They were made partakers with Paul because they gave to his ministry. Remember, we studied earlier that they were in fellowship with Paul. They were in partnership with Paul. They had yoked up for the cause of Christ. And this is what we are doing when we give to missions. We are made partakers of our missionaries. And their fruit is added to our account. Likewise, those who give for rolls of paper, and we send those John and Romans out, that's fruit to their account because they gave towards the work of God. All right, you can take a deep breath now. We're done talking about giving. Now we see in verse 7 that they were standing with Paul even though he was in bonds for the defense and confirmation of the gospel. This was also an evidence of their salvation. But why? Well, I think to understand this, we have to separate ourselves from American Christianity. We have a very skewed view of Christianity, I believe, in America. And we have to kind of separate ourselves from that to understand their sacrifice here. And we've had it so good for so long that I think we think, oh, man, boy, we've, we've had some political stuff in 2020. The Lord's coming back. I mean, this is the end. This is it. Listen, it's been bad since Cain slew Abel. I guess we could back up even before that, but when she took of the fruit and gave unto Adam with her. But anyway, <laughs> it's been bad. But since I'm talking about persecution, we'll just say Cain and Abel. Amen. There's been severe persecution in the world, um, nonstop in different pockets. But anyway, 
Listen, these first century Christians, they were being severely persecuted. They were being imprisoned. They were being killed. A lot of bad things were happening to them, and it was all because they made a public profession of Christ. We've been sheltered so much in our nation that I don't think we truly understand what it means. And, and here's the thing. The reason why these Philippians were being so bold, I believe, through their giving, why this is unique, is, is listen, under times of persecution, you don't fake Christianity. You don't fake being a Christian when it's going to cost you jail time. And, and they're living under persecution. I mentioned that when we introduced this book, that a lot of this is going to be written to them to know, keep, keep going. And here they are under persecution. They're not faking their Christianity. And so these Philippians standing with Paul while he's imprisoned in Rome, especially from a city like Philippi, which was a mini-Rome. It was a Roman stronghold. And being able to stand with the Apostle Paul in such a time like that, they were really sticking their necks out there. They were already under a microscope because of the city in which they live. People were already watching them. They were not welcomed in this city. But they were not deterred. I think in America, professing believers have been able to fake it. Because we have not been under persecution. I think this is proven by the lack of church's effectiveness in America today. And what happened was many decided that the best way to reach the lost was to demonstrate that they were no different than the world. And so they brought in the world's music and they said, see, we're just like you. And they brought in the world's standards and they said, see, we're no different. We're the same. But this isn't true Christianity. Because in true Christianity, there will be a difference. In Christ, we are new creatures. In Christ, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. In Christ, God is performing a good work in us. And in Christ, we are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed. And now, after several generations of a weakened brand of Christianity and many who are merely just professors of Christ and not possessors of Christ, we are beginning to see the tide shift in America. And unless there's a sweeping revival on the scale of another great awakening, our metal is going to be tested going forward. That's right. And if persecution continues to rise in America, then the wheat will further be separated from the chaff because you will not fake your faith under persecution. And we, like Paul and these Philippians, must be willing to stand in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel as we go through these times. And so will you stand for the sake of Christ's gospel, whatever the cost? The Greek word here for defense is apologia. And it's where we get our English word for apologetics. And it's to make a plea for the gospel. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines the word apologetical as to speak in defense of and defending by words or arguments. I looked up a modern definition and it said this, 
reasoned arguments or writings in justification of something, typically a theory or religious doctrine. And this Greek word is used eight times in our New Testament. Three times it is translated as defense. Four times it is translated as giving an answer. And once it is as the clearing of yourselves after you have given your defense, to clear yourself. And so are you prepared tonight to stand in defense of the gospel? I believe this would require you to study the Word of God. This means verse 6 has to be real in your life. There must be evidence of God performing a good work in you. Many are prepared to stand for their rights, but are they prepared to stand for the gospel? 1 Peter 3, 14-16 says, But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ." And when the Apostle Peter wrote that we should be ready to give an answer, that Greek word for answer is the same as defense here in Philippians 1.7. And so if you are suffering for righteousness' sake, then you are living the Word of God. And if you are ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason of the hope that is in you, then you have to know the Word of God to some extent. Because it is by the incorruptible seed of God's Word that you were born again. So you have to have some understanding of the Word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And so if you are going to make a good defense of the gospel to others around you, then you are going to have to live what you claim to possess. You're going to have to study the Word of God in order to defend against the counterattacks that will come your way. Can you defend the Bible? Can you defend true Christianity to those who are living in a false religion? And if we're living right, then our defense isn't entirely why Christianity is right, but it is also why the various religions and the false doctrines are wrong. And if those are wrong, they're damning. And we ought to be willing to give that information to people. I was listening to the radio on the way in. I don't know much about the guy, but every Wednesday night when I drive in, I listen to the radio broadcast, Wretched Radio. I don't know how many of you know that show or not. I'm not necessarily advocating it, but uh, I do enjoy listening to it. And he's always at a college campus somewhere in Georgia. This time it was Georgia Tech. And he was asking students to convince him on why he should convert to whatever they believe. And he said, the devil's trick has been for people to be taught that we don't ever want to push our doctrine on other people. That's considered offensive today. And so almost all of them will answer, well, I don't really think I need to to press my, my belief on you. And that's been swallowed hook, line, and sinker this non-confrontational idea. Can you stand in defense of the gospel? We find the Apostle Paul doing this on Mars Hill. 
In Acts 17, 16, it says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And then in verses 22 and 23 of Acts chapter 17, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Whom, the, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And then he went on to preach the word of God. He was standing in defense of the gospel. He saw a false doctrine and he stood in defense for what was right. During one of Paul's visits to Jerusalem, the people wanted to kill him. And had the Roman soldiers not come in to arrest Paul, they probably would have. Because the Bible clearly says they wanted to kill him. And he comes and arrests Paul. And long story short, he gives Paul uh, the ability to speak. And Paul begins to speak in Hebrew. And all of a sudden, the people are listening because he's speaking in Hebrew. And he says, men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense. Same Greek word. Hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And then he went on to give his testimony. So when we're making a defense of the gospel, we must know the word of God to some extent, and we must also be able to give our testimony. And everybody who's in Christ ought to be able to do that. Amen. And as we see here in this opening chapter to the Philippians, Paul is in prison for his faith in Christ. And while he was in prison, Paul knew that he was there for the defense of the gospel. If you'll let your eyes drop down to verse 17. You'll see there in the second part of that verse, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Apologia. I know why I'm here. I'm here because God has set me here, imprisoned, that I might defend the gospel. Paul understood that his mission in life was to stand for the gospel. He knew he was called by God to answer for the gospel. Amen. And listen, this is exactly what God has called you and I to do. Right. You have been placed in your workplace for the defense of the gospel. Amen. God has given you relationships and acquaintance, acquaintances for the defense of the gospel. And we are all left here upon this earth for the defense of the gospel. Or else why are we here? Whether you're in school, and work, wherever God has placed you, you are there to defend the gospel. That's right. So how are you doing in your apologetics? Can you stand in defense of the gospel? When false doctrines are spoken of in the workplace, do you defend them? I know when I was in the military and every time somebody would say something foolish, I would always speak up. Oh no, that's not what the Bible says. Oh, you're just a Bible thumper. And I say, yeah, I'd rather be a Bible thumper than a bar hopper. Amen. Now, why is it so important to stand in defense of the gospel? Because Paul not only mentions the defense of the gospel, but then he speaks of the confirmation of the gospel. This is the gospel taking root. After we have stood in defense of the gospel, after we had answered in defense of the gospel... The idea is that when we are effective in proclaiming the gospel, that we are then to establish the gospel. 
that we are to move in at that point and say, okay, we need to take you into a deeper relationship with the Lord. We want to see you grow. We want to see you get rooted. This is what Paul did throughout his ministry. He would come into a town. He would start an uproar. No, I'm just he would come into a town and he would go typically to the synagogues first and he would there teach and preach to the Jews. He would then turn to the Gentiles. And then from the groups of those who received Christ as their Savior, he would then confirm the gospel and he would establish a church. And through that local church, they were to become established in the things of God. And this is where our church as a whole comes into play. We are a gospel footprint in Rapid City. There are multiple, but we are one. We have our footprint in Rapid City. We've staked out our little postage stamp of a property. Amen. I want a bigger property. Our little, our little property here. This is, our, this is our territory, if you will. And we are using this for the confirmation of the gospel. We go out in defense of the gospel. But then we want to get people in to confirm the gospel. And so what we find here in this verse is there's a process. There is defending and confirming the gospel. And I believe where we messed up in our independent Baptist movement back there in the 70s was we failed to confirm the gospel. We did wonderfully well in getting the Word of God out and seeing people saved and baptized. But where are those mega churches today? Did we not establish them in the faith? This is why I'm thrilled to death. There's people meeting in, the, in my office tonight for discipleship. Amen. We want to get them rooted. We want to get them grounded. Amen. We want to go beyond just the fact that we've stood in defense of the gospel for their sake. But now we want to see them confirmed into the gospel. i got to be careful with that word, don't I? Amen. <laughs> So what we do is we go out to the world with the answers that they need. We bring them into our fold for discipleship that they might be established. Thereby, we increase our footprint. And that will also, in turn, it'll help the effectiveness of our defense of the gospel. You're mighty in numbers, amen? amen. Romans 16.25 says, Now to him that is of power to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. What do we do? We preach Christ. And we see people established in the gospel. Our goal as a church is not merely to make Christ known, but to those who come to Christ that we would get them established. We desire for them, like Paul wrote here, to be partakers of our grace, which is not our grace, we understand. It's God's grace, but we've been made partakers of it, and we want others to be made partakers of it. At least I hope that's what you want. And so as I close this down, are you standing in defense of the gospel today? Are you working to confirm the gospel in others? I think this could get into those who maybe are saved, but they're caught up in false teachings. And we want to get them established. Get them out from false teaching into a biblical church. Um, as I was praying tonight, I, I was thinking of one who has left us, and I said, you know, Lord, at least put them in a biblically sound church. Amen. Yeah. I know we're not what everybody's looking for, but will you at least let them become established somewhere? Yeah. 
that is right doctrinally. And so we need to stand in defense. We need to confirm the gospel in others. And so when you leave out of here tonight, purpose to make a difference in your area of life. I think was that the missionary letter tonight mentioned reach one, everyone reach one in 2021. And that's true. And, and I had in my notes, how do we make a difference? One person at a time. That's how we do it. And if we all do that, we'll begin to make a huge impact. But it will take being willing to suffer for Christ's sake. I don't know what that means for you. It may just mean being ridiculed a little bit. Maybe losing friends. But whatever the case, listen, you need to be willing to suffer for Christ. Who knows what this year is going to bring? I heard a lot of talk about unity today. So, stand in defense of the gospel, confirm the gospel in others. Thank you for being here tonight. Let's pray.